at some point we are going to have to do a whole show about how good this show sounds. Welcome to Down Ballot. We do this show 
<clears throat> I guess now again it is every <laughs> Tuesday at 7:30 p.m. We uh at the Pacific time we had a couple weeks where it was not exactly 7:30 p.m. What's up, Councilman? Not a mucho producer, Dave. Um, super. Am I coming through okay? Yeah, it seems like there's a bit of a delay, but we'll uh, we'll deal with it. Okay. Uh, well, I'm really excited for episode 100 of Down Ballot tonight. It's a pretty stupendous honor to get this far. Um, most podcasts barely make it past one or two episodes. So uh, I'm really excited that uh, after uh, a lot of labor over the years we've we've gotten this far um and i remember when we good wife and i first pitched this idea to you and uh, uh because we were taking up way too much time on the sunday show with our local news segments um so we decided to create our own space for it here and we're really glad that uh, our listener and our viewer have come along with us on this journey um and we just only hope that you will continue to tell your friends um and now that we've partnered forces with our local love compadres um to make it one big evening of local derp and music we hope you'll stick around later for local love um and uh we really encourage you to stick around with this show and hopefully we'll get to 200 um and maybe in the near future we can do a little retrospective and look back at some of our favorite moments but i'm really excited to be here and you can find me on twitter at t-h-e underscore council man local love's creeping up on 200 here it should be a couple weeks from now i think very nice i see aaron marquez a sweet high in the chat is like congratulations one of my favorite echoplex shows they're all one of your favorite echoplex shows though uh before we get started i'd really like to apologize to the poor guy on twitter who i just absolutely fucking bodied and then he called me mean and blocked me like not too long before the show poor guy Aww. poor guy poor guy you can check my treat, tweets and replies i wasn't even mean to him he just didn't like what i had to say so i'd like to apologize to that guy i didn't mean anything personally by it except that you're a fucking idiot i guess that is personal i guess they're having a sad about this i don't know it was funny it was funny i don't know he was it was it was just one of those things where he was like going off on somebody else about well we should talk about this in this certain kind of way and blah 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 and i just jumped in i'm like why who's we and why do you get to decide how we get to talk about this thing i'm like everybody's just talking about it man and it was obviously he wanted to, obviously he wanted to debate so he blocked you yeah <laughs> No, it was it was so dumb. I fucking can't stand that shit. It's like tone policing and it's always used by like unremarkable straight white guys that are about 42 to 47 years old. Wait a minute. Oh, I'm gay, so that's not me. Never mind. I almost <laughs> described myself there. But uh <laughs> but yeah, it's always that's just fine. like well, give, it's I, just like you I need used to, my own name last week, so. And it was like in defense of like somebody else like who was saying a bunch of froggy shit and mm -hmm. it's like, "Well, now, okay, so this person gets to say their froggy shit." But now everybody else has to talk about it in a way that suits you. Well, shut the fuck up. Come on. I will only have conversation with you if it is on my terms. I mean, that's fine for this show, right? If somebody wants to come on and they like are, you know, breaking TOS or, you know, like if they come in and start calling the uh, my co-host ugly or any of that shit. Yeah, fuck yeah, I'm going to kick them out. But that's not Twitter. Anyway, I bodied that guy. He got hell mad. <laughs> He got hell of that. He went and tattled on on me to one of our other, like one of the people that's in the little 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 clique of people I'm I'm hanging out in on I hang out in on Twitter, and that's my favorite part. Went and tattled on me, and so I got a screenshot of the tattle. It was fantastic. And he expected them to like censure you or something. Like, what was I, his end game? I don't know. I'm the king of the hierarchy, so fuck him. That's what I figured. I mean, you, you come for the come for the king, you better you better not miss, right? Or you come for the bull, you get the horns, whatever the analogy is. It's if you come for Speak gay Dave, you best not miss. 
<laughs> you, you come for Gabe, Gabe, you get it. You know what I'm saying? Um, all right. Well, uh, should we get right into it on F100 here? Yep. Um, we got a very special leading off tonight um, in honor of episode 100, a uh, story we've been following for quite a while. And it kind of relates adjacently to Chesa Boudin and all of our uh, progressive uh, criminal justice reform leanings with regard to bail. <laughs> but <laughs> why don't we roll the clip? It's about our favorite Los Gatos party mom uh, and uh, her recent uh, court appearance. Bail denied for the accused party mom in Las Gatas. That's after several alleged teenage victims and their parents urged a judge to keep the woman in jail. Good evening. Thank you for joining us. I'm Ama Dates. And I'm Dan Ashley. ABC 7 News reporter Zach Fuentes was in court for today's emotional testimony. Shannon O'Connor, the mom facing charges, has 15 accusers. And we last heard from six of them in January at the last hearing. Today, one more victim and three parents spoke out, all urging the judge to keep O'Connor in jail. O'Connor sat in the courtroom with her back turned to them as they spoke out. Cameras were only allowed to show O'Connor and her defense attorney. The names of the victim and the parents are not being given, but one man identified himself as O'Connor's ex-husband and father of her oldest son. Her ex echoing the others, urging the judge to deny O'Connor bail. He stated, quote, Shannon O'Connor is a menace to society. The young victim who spoke out in court today shared her traumatic experiences, also asking the judge to deny bail. Their request later granted. We believe that this decision is the right decision to keep the public safe. O'Connor is accused of hosting parties for her teen son and his friends at her Los Gatos home, where prosecutors say she would supply alcohol and push it until some teens vomited. The teens also testified they felt forced into sexual encounters. Deputy District Attorney Rebecca Wise is prosecuting the case. She argued against O'Connor's lawyer, Brian Madden. Madden claimed that O'Connor was entitled to bail under the California Constitution because the crimes are not violent felonies and she's not a flight risk. The judge ultimately disagreed. Just because the defendant didn't personally push the victim or cause the violence, the fact that she orchestrated it, set it all up, watched it happen, knew the effect of her actions, and then kept going, showed that these felonies qualify as acts of violence. Madden said the fight to get O'Connor out on bail is not over. We'll be doing that. We'll be filing a petition on the 6th District Court of Appeal. Uh, challenging the court's ruling today. The next time O'Connor is expected in court is 60 days from now, April 11th, where she'd be expected to plea. In San Jose, Zach Fuentes, ABC 7 News. So not a flight risk is pretty interesting because they fucking found her in another state. <laughs> Doing the same shit. Right. Right. Party momming it up. So um, all I could think of is I'd throw big parties in that fucking house too, honestly. Absolutely. But, Why not? But for like adults, actually. Yes. Like, maybe maybe not for minors. Like the thing that strikes me is if this lady had that nice house and liked to throw parties, why couldn't she just fucking invite adults over instead? Uh, maybe it's just in her bag. Yeah, I just figure she could probably like, invite yes. she could probably invite adults over. Absolutely. I'm, but maybe she doesn't have adult, adult friends. You know, it, it could be a sad state of affairs. Maybe she's just trying to relive her youth through her kids. She's never really established relationships with people her own age. That's possible. I, I, I don't know exactly. I just, I just know that if I had a big house like that, I would just throw parties for adults. Well, uh, one day, one day, a boy can dream, right? 
maybe. Uh, <laughs> shall we move on to winners and losers? Yeah, we Which shall. Most- what's what's this? What's this first story here? Well, it's about a loser. <laughs> uh, so uh, one of our local um, rags, as it were, online rags, San Jose Spotlight. Some of you may follow. Um, they have been tracking uh, or have been making many, many public records requests, obviously, of the city that uh, uh, they want to do. They are journalists. And the mayor's office in particular has been very cagey uh, in terms of responding to these public records requests. Um, and uh, they've accused the spotlight has accused the mayor's office of withholding some records. And they've uh, actually done a little more investigating and found that the mayor and others at the city are using dun, da, 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 private emails uh, to conduct city business. Um, so uh, we might have a little microcosm of the 2016 <laughs> election all over again, right here in San Jose. Only Mayor Licardo isn't running for anything really this year. So, um, but his emails. Uh, so this is this is a story about uh, what is going down, what has transpired, and what Spotlight is trying to do about it. Is there a lack of transparency in San Jose? The city and its mayor are once again headed to court over accusations that they're conducting city business in secret. Today, the online media group called San Jose Spotlight, along with the First Amendment Coalition, filed a lawsuit. It claims Mayor Sam Licardo and other city employees use personal devices and non-government email accounts to skirt the California Public Records Act. It's similar to a legal battle San Jose was involved with five years ago when Mayor Licardo was accused of conducting private talks with lobbyists, then not fulfilling requests to see the related documents. We were told certain records didn't exist, even when we had copies of those records. We uncovered how the mayor almost exclusively uses private emails for city business and deleted a public email thread. So if those emails are not available to the public, as they should be under California law, the public is stripped of its ability to see what its elected leaders are doing. In response to this lawsuit, which demands more transparency, the mayor's staff issued us this statement, quote, the city spent hundreds of hours reviewing and producing thousands of documents requested by San Jose Spotlight, but mistakenly missed two emails that were ultimately provided. The city also added it has implemented procedures to prevent future mistakes. I don't know, like, I don't fucking send... I don't even send shit for this ragtag podcast network from my personal email. I just use the echo at echoflexmedia.com email like a fucking regular person. Why the fuck are these people who are supposed to be like in charge of our government incapable of like going to a different fucking email address to send a goddamn email? It's it's shocking uh, in a lot of ways, especially in the capital of Silicon Valley, as San Jose purports to be. Um you know, they're using, they're using Office 365, so, you know, maybe the mayor just doesn't really dig Outlook. I don't know. Um, <laughs> he likes using Gmail. Uh, but, you know, and he's also said, they've said in different statements, oh, well, you know, and behind the scenes, oh, well, you know, it's, uh, he doesn't really check. I mean, does anyone really think he checks the Sam Licardo, you know, uh, ca.gov email address? Probably not. You know, like most council members and mayors, they have staff that check their email accounts and then they forward pertinent things that need the attention of the person of the mayor or the council member so it's not surprising that he wouldn't know what the fuck is in his inbox um on his city account but he should damn well know that he has to use the city account for city business right he can't be conducting even personal you know, conversations with 
friend friends who happen to be developers or friends who happen to have business with the city you know on a on his gmail account um or you know honestly he could it's just that at some point it needs to be copied into the public record by being copied on his his uh city account that's just the rules that's the law so um and he should know that he's an attorney uh the mayor is, is a licensed attorney or at least was at some point um but he had copy worked in the da's office so uh uh, <laughs> uh so he should know better and he's harvard educated georgetown law i think so you know anyway uh clean it up okay so his staff reads his email right sure so they they, they screen it stay with me here what if his staff also were to send his email for him <laughs> that that absolutely happens that absolutely happens for sure, um, unless there's some sort of personal nature to it, where like a personal relationship or friendship, and the the elected official wants to, you know, do it themselves. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, the staff is the ones are the ones responding. Um, particularly if it's if it's general stuff, right? You usually have a canned response that you just send to everyone, right? Um, you come up with it, you come up with the response for what the issue is, and you send that out, and so the staffer can is authorized to do that. Um, but every now and then. Um, and especially with the personal email, like there's your like mayor, he's got a mayor email, like mayor at, at San Jose.gov or whatever. Um, but he's also got Sam Licardo and it's funny. It's actually Sam.Licardo one at San Jose CA.gov. That's a public email address. I'm not doxing anybody. Um, but, uh, yeah, apparently they, either there was another Sam Licardo at the city or someone screwed up and they had to redo the account. <laughs> uh, but that account ostensibly is to him, right? Whereas um, mayor is councilman. Maybe, what if he's just number that. one? <laughs> that could be it too. Yeah. Um, but okay. So, so no, I don't know. I, I don't get this. Why, why can't he send a message to his staff with the body of what he wants to reply or what he wants to send to someone. And then his staff can send the fucking email out via the official channel because he's obviously too lazy or whatever to check in to like use the fucking official channel to send the email. Isn't that what your staff is for? Or he legitimately doesn't want the email conversation in the public record for whatever reason. Well, then he should be I, fucking then the board, then the rest of the fucking city council should just, can they remove him as the mayor? I suppose I'm, I imagine there's some sort of stipulation. There's definitely a recall, um, provision. Oh, no, 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 not that. Anything but that. We're, we're a state charter. <laughs> no, anything city, but so another recall. recall. Anything yeah. but another I, recall. I don't, I don't know that the council, I don't believe the council can remove him. Um, the council and the mayor can remove the city manager that they can do that, but I don't believe that the council can remove the mayor. Um, that's, that's not in the cards as far as I know. Uh, they can certainly censure him or take a vote of, you know, no confidence or something like that, but they cannot remove him. Much like the Board of Supervisors cannot remove the sheriff or the assessor or the DA because they're all elected officials, the people can do Only the people can do that. Oh, I guess you're right. The mayor is an elected official. Okay. But no, no recalls. Right. Absolutely not. No recalls. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And the House and the Senate can't vote to, they can impeach, right? Um, but they, uh, the House can't unilaterally remove the president, right? You still need the Senate to convict them in the first place to have them impeached or in the second place, I should say. All right. So, well, up next, uh, and winners yeah, so and, up next in winners and losers, Oakland students are protesting proposed school closures. Now I imagine like the right wing response to this. I already have the canned right wing response. They're like, but aren't some of these students trying to like 
make sure the school is safe and still do distance learning and stuff because they want to make sure that it's safe now why are they protesting the school closure i already know the fucking right wing response to this what is it i just said it oh sorry (laughs) anyway here's the story from uh this would be kpix5 bay area well, this evening, emotions running high over proposed school closures in Oakland. KPIX 5 anchor Ryan Yamamoto is following the latest developments. Ryan. Well, Alan, the Oakland Unified School District plans to close eight schools in the next two years. Four others will be consolidated. Today, Chopper 5 was over a walkout at Westlake Middle School. Dozens of students, teachers, and parents marching down city streets. Their school is on the list to be merged with another. Parents and teachers say the move will negatively impact thousands of families and students of color. Our students really rely on our schools. They rely on the relationships with adults that they have at these schools, and it's not okay for them to do this to us. Two Westlake teachers say they too will also go on a hunger strike because of the cuts. Community members say teachers, principals, and staff were not informed about the proposed plans. They say this is not the answer. And what the campaign is going to do is do what we've always done, encourage black parents, black students, black educators to stand up, protect their schools and demand democracy. The district says a budget crisis is to blame for the closure and the merger plan. A final vote on the school closures will be held next week. Liz, back to you. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. That's an awful lot of closures to be coming down the pike in one or two years for them not to have had some pretty advanced notice that shit was going to hit the fan. I just, I just don't understand. Like, there's always all this other money for other shit, like for hooking up developers with with a with a sweet tax break or fucking well, mostly just for developers. And I know that's Oakland, but I don't imagine that the dynamics there are dramatically different than here in San Jose, but. Like, why is there always money to help the developers and all, all the time, the, every time the fucking, there's always money to help the developers and increase the fucking police budget. But there, when it comes time to like, why does the school get the short end of the stick? It primarily, and without getting too wonky, it's because it comes out of an entirely different fund source, uh, mostly from state funding um, and the tax revenue, the tax I could really get wonky with you, but the 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 tax percentages, right, and the and the mathematics for how it works out of how much of our property taxes and our income and sales and every other tax um, contribute to the education of our children. Um, it's all done through a formula at the state level, and it's really obtuse. Uh, and I could sit here and talk to you about it for an hour, and no one would understand, um, and I still wouldn't understand it. Uh, so that's primarily why, right? Whereas with say like police funding it's pretty straightforward it's general fund dollars from the city right your in your um your property taxes and sales taxes and, and to some extent income taxes but mostly property and sales taxes locally go right in can you know can go right into the general fund which gets used to fund police services um and other you know core quote-unquote core city services uh, and the city doesn't have anything to do with funding schools directly at all. Like the the city can fund like after school programs through libraries and things like that, but the schools are are under a completely different structure, and they're run by local school boards, mostly people who are, you know, either parents who are really hot to trot on a certain issue, um, but don't really have a really big concept of how to manage an organization that size, um, or you know, up and coming career politicians who are just anchoring angling for their next job and not actually concerned with helping the school district that they are now elected to lead 
right? So you, it's just a it's a big clusterfuck. Sounds like a bad. Sounds like the whole. Th- I don't know. Just. I mean, I I I understand that like the this the funding comes from the the state, but this is all fucked up. It's just it just seems like no matter what, I don't really care where the funding comes from. It's like a fucking. It's that same thing that like Tupac said: you got money for war, but can't feed the poor. It's but it's just another version of that, and it's like you know like okay. So it's the state's problem. Well, that doesn't mean that it's still not a problem. And like, I don't know. Oh yeah. 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 Not at all. Like, I don't know. The cities, the cities could certainly petition the state, put pressure on the state. Like they, I mean, it's hard, like as one city out of many to put pressure on a giant state government, like, um, like California as they, uh, as they're learning in Shasta County, uh, more on that. Maybe we'll talk a bit about that before the fucking, we close this episode out. But it's just it's just fucking bullshit. It's like I see what's happening with the schools versus when I was a kid, and it seemed like the schools were pretty well funded when I was a kid. Well, there's just uh, there's different priorities now, and there's just so much more need, right? There's just the the, the generations aren't shrinking, right? We've got more more kids to educate, um, and more, uh, and uh, things are just frankly more expensive, right? Um, when it comes down to it, um, and we're still not even close to paying our teachers and our you know, school staff and our school employees anywhere near what they're worth. Um, it's just that the the decisions have the decision has been made that education is not a priority when it comes down to it. Right? We spend so much money. We spend more money on our prisons in California than we do on our schools. Um, that's a very simple math, right there, right? Um, and it's definitely not. I definitely don't want to make it like it's. Oh, it's someone else's problem. Yeah, it's the state's problem. But that we have state legislators who we elect, um, who usually come up through the ranks at the local level, right? So we have an opportunity to elect better people who aren't going to be, you know, bowing down to the special interests in the prison industrial complex, right, and the carceral industrial complex, and um, all of these other special pork interests, <clears throat> and actually spending money where it counts um, and educating our kids. Um, and if they don't, they're going to continuously see more attrition. You're going to see the parents who have the means sending their kids to public or charter schools. And the ones who don't are the ones that are going to be left in our school systems. And with declining enrollment, they're going to have less money to serve these kids who are probably the ones most in need, right? And they don't, who don't have the kind of, um, support that that's going to help them along their way. And it's just a spiral, right? It's a downward spiral. And that's what we're experiencing from when you and I were in school in good local public schools to now you know that's that's what we're seeing is the deterioration like i got to see both sides i saw public school and i went to private school for high school my my, my private high school is doing gamebusters now they're they're in great shape um the the public schools i went to are not so much um now so it's it's deteriorating and that's a, it's not in covid it's not helping and uh yeah and and you had, you had mentioned the prisons and the, the thing about the prisons too is somebody goes in there as like a, <clears throat> like a thief and they come out as a fucking monster. So, because, you know, not everybody, some people, some people go in a thief, come out, not a thief anymore because they fucking are like, I ain't going back there. But the, there's also mm-hmm. ways in which prisons are like monster factories where they take somebody yeah. who was not violent and because of the, basically because they get traumatized by other people in prison who are much the same much the same predicament they're in or possibly, you know, or violent criminals that they're housed with or whatever. Now, now those yeah. people are monsters and, and we're, we're throwing, we're throwing bad, you know, good money after bad there, but we can't even, we can't throw fucking, we can't throw any good money after bad in the school system. It's like, come on. Yeah. Um, and we, 
let folks out of our prisons uh, after doing that to them, right? And victimizing them again or victimizing them. And we give them no resources and no support to get out, you know, to, to build a, a sustainable life, right? They've been locked up for 10, 20 years and now what, right? The world's completely changed in 10 or 20 years. They're not ready for that. They're not ready to, to re-engage with society. You have to help them, um, but we don't do that, right? So then we end up, what do they do? They commit crimes because that's what they know what how to do, right? Um, and they go back to jail and it all starts over again. Um, and, uh, and wouldn't you know, it's completely related to the educational system because what happens when you have shitty education and, and, and your kids aren't motivated to go to school? You know, they're going to drop out and they're going to do crimes. They're going to go to jail and there you go. Um, or they get, you know, uh, stereotyped or, or, or uh, you know, uh, uh, pigeonholed and told they're not going to be anything because they're black or brown or they just don't fit into the, the mold, right? Wrong zip code. Um, wrong zip code right and they never get any sort of encouragement to to and to put the two and two together like i need to go to school to have a better job right to have a better life and blah 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 make more money yada yada they don't put those pieces together because no one ever told them um and no one cared enough to tell them or to the extent that uh, or to the extent that they're being told that they live in a society they maybe they live in a community where there's a lot of a lot of revolving door prison happening in their community so they just think that's some fucking bullshit they're like, yeah. what is this bullshit? I see the people in my community going in and out of prison for fucking petty crimes, and every time they come out of prison, they're worse off than they were before. So, what the fuck? You, 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 you're the same government that runs the prison. So why should I believe you when you tell me about this about the schools? Right, and they're kind of resigned to that kind of you know to to that right. Like, oh, well, I guess it's gonna that, that'll be what happens to me too, right? Um, so, yeah. Well, the sooner we can break out of that cycle of thought, the sooner we can someone just steps up and and breaks down that cycle and we reinvest and we figure out a way to yeah defund and refund um then then we can start to see movement but as long as the legislature says well we have to according to prop 98 we have to give 40 percent of the budget to education and that's it you know <laughs> well that's that's not really a metric to live by right but that's what they do that is literally what they do they say this is exactly how much we have to give them and this is what they're going to get and then we'll fund everything else. And the cycle kind of goes like this too. Let's say you're a, let's say you're like a, like a working class family or whatever. Mom or dad mm-hmm. gets popped for something. It was a two income mm-hmm. family with a kid. Mom and dad gets mm-hmm. popped. You were in, you know, a middle-class neighborhood. One of the parents gets popped. Maybe it's something stupid. You shouldn't even go to fucking prison for. Now you don't live in that nice neighborhood anymore. Do you where, where the schools are better. And so you get, you like ejected from that. Although the idea that like a, a school in a bad neighborhood should have less funding than a school in a good neighborhood is kind of upside down to me, but you know, there's just so many ways in which this just fucks everything up and it works. It's, it serves to like, it serves as like a bit of a glass ceiling for people in some ways where, you know, you don't see it, you don't see it, you don't see it. Now you're, now you're driving around and you forgot that, you know, you did a little bit of cocaine with your, with your people on Saturday night you have, you know, it's in your pocket or in your car or whatever. And boom, now you're in jail. Boom. Now, now, now it's one income, one kid. And you're dealing with, you know, your, your partner being in, in, in prison over some tiny bit of cocaine. Now you got to move. And now your kid's not only in a school with like less funding, but your kid doesn't know anybody there. And those kids are from families that have already been victimized in the same way that your family has been victimized. Your neighbors are in some ways being victimized in the way that you're being victimized. And it's just, it's just a bad scene and it's hard to climb out. Absolutely. That's why they, um, they call a, East portion of East San Jose, the Mayfair community, it's known as South Sipuedes, 
be like get out if you can right salsa puede um and it's also if you want to real you want before we go on to the next um story one number that always stands out to me um school districts will often supplement what they get from the state with a parcel like a local parcel tax right or a bond measure if they want to like fund buildings and build new schools and build gyms and whatnot um and new science labs uh but they'll have a parcel tax they ask the voters to approve it and then every homeowner gets taxed a certain amount on their property tax every year um and the district gets to determine how much it is and usually it's determined by how, well how much are people going to be willing to pay right um and vote to pay, to pay right and agree to pay in san jose unified in city of san jose the parcel tax that they got approved back in 2016 is 72 bucks a house or 72 bucks a property just flat right um and that barely passed by like a half a percentage point the parcel tax in palo alto unified it's over 700 dollars so there you go. And if you and think that, if, and that passed overwhelmingly. And if you think about it, I know <clears throat> I know a lot of people who went to school in Palo Alto. They got a couple really phenomenal public high schools there. And I wonder if the yes. money has anything to do with it. Oh yes. Not to <laughs> mention the the parents who have the time to support their kids right and do their homework with them and read to them and do all the the, the stuff and go, volunteer in the classroom, right? Do all the things that you know, these parents who are absolutely wonderful parents who want to do more can't because they're having to work two, three jobs, you know, and, and then come home and cook and clean, and do everything else, um, that they need to do for their families. Right. They don't have, they don't have the time. They don't have minutes in the day to do it. Right. And that's what government, those are the people government is there supposed to be there to support. That's what it's all about. Public service is about serving those people who had, who don't, they try so hard and they just, there's not enough minutes in the day and enough dollars in their pocket to make it work so well on to something a little lighter here uh the attorney general <laughs> has apparently decided that uh what is i already crossed this out this is a woodside that's a very nice part of very nice part of the bay area if i if if, if uh, tony it's a very very nice part of the bay area we're broadcasting from woodside man this is we would be in a beautiful studio that was like our other other living room you know what i'm saying <laughs> anyway it's not like a suede catches the attorney general has decided it is not a mountain lion habitat is considered to be among the wealthiest communities in the United States, and the town, which is in San Mateo County, wants to declare itself a mountain lion sanctuary. But critics are saying this is just a way to avoid having to build affordable housing. I'm Jonathan McCall. We first told you about this story tonight on Cron 4 News at 6. Happening right now, a special meeting is underway in the town of Woodside after Attorney General Rob Bonta fired back at town leaders over the decision. Cron 4's Gail Ong picks up the story. There's no basis in law or in fact for that, and uh, it's hard to come to any other conclusion besides that it's a deliberate and transparent attempt to avoid complying with SB 9. State Attorney General Robert Bonta speaking out on the town of Woodside's memo regarding mountain lions and Senate Bill 9, a new state housing law that allows for duplex development on single-family lots. Back in January, the town's planner announced Woodside was exempt from SB 9 because of its mountain lion population. On Sunday, the Attorney General sent a letter to the town. Hold on. Do mountain lions hate duplexes? <laughs> they must if they're invading Woodside to prevent this law from being limp and limited. Oh my God. 
warning their efforts is against the law. We hope that the input we've provided today are uh, views of SB 9 and, and how it applies to the actions that Woodside has taken in recent weeks. I will give them an opportunity to reconsider. The town's website posted a number of documents stating the Fish and Game Commission lists mountain lions as an endangered species and that no parcel in town is eligible for an SB9 project. There have been mountain lion sightings outside homes in San Mateo County and across the Bay Area. The California Department of Fish and Wildlife says half of California is considered mountain lion territory, but Bonta's letter states there is no valid basis to claim that the entire town of Woodside is a habitat for mountain lions and that any exemption under SB9 would have to be based on substantial evidence. And Woodside town officials have not responded to our request for comment, but town council members have scheduled a special meeting Sunday night regarding litigation. Gail Ong, Cron 4 News. Do it. <laughs> Just thinking of the conversations the fucking so, mountain lions are having about this. <laughs> so that's the preamble. We can actually go right to the next clip, so we'll find out what happened shortly after the Attorney General... Um, what did you say about the guy on Twitter that you owned? I, f I forget how you put that. I just earlier. apologized to him. Oh, really? No, but you said you like you slammed them or you I forget what you the verb you used. It was really nice, but I, I forgot what you bodied them, yeah. There you go. So the attorney general just bodied the town of Woodside. <laughs> <laughs> New at six, the town of Woodside doing some damage control after it tried to use mountain lions as an excuse to dodge affordable housing laws. The city has now backed down, but we asked KPIX5's Kenny Choi to explain the new law, the new state law designed to create more housing. This town has become the center of a housing debate as new state laws facilitating the construction of more units are often met with resistance from some cities. Woodside began accepting new housing applications today, just one day after California's Attorney General chastised town officials, accusing them of using the idea of a mountain lion habitat to skirt the new housing law called SB9. SB9 allows homeowners to build up to four residential units on a single family lot. Kara Cox is in the process of getting permits in San Mateo. And it's just, um, you know, carbon neutral to provide housing um, on the peninsula so everyone's not driving back and forth. SB 9 just went into effect this year, allowing homeowners to build up to four residential units on a single family lot. Terry Shuzik owns a planning services company for homeowners and says a permitting process that used to take two years will be cut down to four months under the new rules. It's refreshing to, to sort of roll back the standards that may have existed in 1970, I'd say. Cities like Woodside insist they're doing their part. The town of Woodside has consistently exceeded its state-mandated low and moderate income housing commitments. The National Association of Realtors says for every 3,500 households in the San Jose metro area, there's only one listing for middle-income house seekers. That's three times worse than Los Angeles. Uh, SB9 is just one part of a larger uh, puzzle for how to solve the housing crisis. UC Berkeley's Turner Center for Housing and Innovation estimates the SB9 law will create as many as 700,000 new units on California's 7.5 million single-family home lots. Across the state, where the cities and counties and towns have to plan for where they're going to put housing for the next eight years, that's going to be really critical in terms of determining 
whether we actually solve uh, this crisis. I think at this point, density is necessary, and I think that there are said appropriate places to do it. According to Californians for Home Ownership, the state ranks 49 out of 50 in existing housing units per resident. In Woodside, Kenny Choi, KPIX5. Fuck them rich people. So, your thoughts, Bruce Dave. Yeah, fuck them rich people. Yeah. Yeah, we should, uh, and this is something that San Jose is, um, and lo other local cities have just uh, implemented uh, already. So it's it's getting on the books everywhere. They're required to, um, unless they have they file for some sort of exemption. Every city in California is now going to be required to allow uh, for this. So doesn't mean it's going to happen everywhere and overnight, but um, it's going to allow for more opportunity. Now that again, you could argue one could argue that a uh, subdividing a lot in Woodside and building four units on a single family home lot in Woodside will lead to like basically $4 million homes <laughs> as <opposed laughs> to one $4 million home. <laughs> so whether or not, whether or not the housing in Woodside is going to be affordable anyway, <laughs> that's created by SB nine is, is debatable, but it's, it's laughable that they would think to try to get an exemption for being a mountain lion sanctuary, but it's the most nimby thing I've ever heard. Well, and you know, when you, when you do something like SB nine for the entire state, of course, there's going to be places like Woodside where, yeah, if you own a house, you own a big house, maybe and you're retiring and your kids moved out, wouldn't it be nice to own four? Four smaller houses, live in one of them and fucking sell the other three or even rent the other right. three out? Yeah, but that's that's what happens when you have to make laws or regulations for the entire state. There's going to be cases in which it kind of has the opposite of the desired effect or maybe like no real effect that, that would, in this case, help people who are looking for low-income housing. But then in this case, maybe it take some people out out of a different place they're going to go oh i can get a house in woodside now we're going to get a house in woodside and then it'll take the pressure off of some other place where the houses are a little less expensive so you know it works together it sometimes is going to work against itself that's the one of the, that's just one of the problems with policy for a state with as many people as california you're, you're picking yeah. winners and losers and sometimes you don't even winners and losers and sometimes you don't even know who hey. the winners and losers are going to be Fabulous segue. That was beautiful. Um, or callback, but, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, at the end of the day, you know, just basic capitalism supply and demand tells you that, you know, the more housing you have, right. The, the less the demand, lower the demand, even if the demand's really high, the more housing out is out there, the more units that are out there are available, the lower the demand and hopefully the lower the price. At least so, in some um, places. Theoretically. Sure. Yeah. In some theoretically, places. Right. Yeah. In, in like places that are medium right. and less desirable neighborhoods, medium and less desirable neighborhoods. Yeah. It's going to maybe it releases some of the pressure. Yeah, sure. Right. Cause then some um, of them people can the move to Woodside where they belong and get the fuck out of my neighborhood. Right. <laughs> but from a government perspective, if they're funding anything, it should absolutely be geared towards low income, extremely low income, you know, quote unquote, affordable housing. There's just no, there's no reason for government to be spending or supporting any more, you know, market rate development housing. Or at least not subsidizing it. Um, well, uh, shall we move on to get your shit together? I can't believe it's not about the fucking building. <laughs> well, it's about poop, or at least dumping, um. <laughs> and not the kind of dumping that happens in front of a artisan cupcake shop in the in the in the TL either. Right. These are like mattresses. Um, but San Jose's got a little problem with um, during COVID, especially during COVID, with uh, people using the the curb uh, as their you know personal landfill 
upset after someone dumped junk right in front of their house. This is more than just an eyesore. It could impact the asking price on homes for sale. Here's NBC Good. Damien Trujillo in San Jose. The city has been very proactive in going after illegal dumping, even implementing very stiff fines. But the dumping continues. It's a never-ending race to get dump trash off the streets before someone else adds to it. In all, San Jose City crews will visit up to 500 sites per week, trying to keep neighborhoods from turning into dump sites. It is getting worse. We've seen a significant increase in illegal dumping reports uh, and the illegal dumping that's not being reported that we find proactively. Here on South 26th Street, Maria Vasquez is glad the cleanup crew showed up. Maria says she even took video of one man who she claims dumped this latest round of garbage, describing him as a local landlord. Maria says she told the man not to do it, but that he told her off and did it anyway. The city told Maria to upload the video to its... I thought for a minute he was going to moon her. San Jose people suspected of illegal dumping can face fines of up to $10,000. But the city needs pictures or video proof of the crime to go after those dumpers. Placing items out front or pushing it out to the curve and, and, and slapping a free sign on it is considered illegal dumping. It's a red flag. It's something to consider. Realtor Cristina Gonzalez says it makes her job harder. She's about to list a home for sale, only to find that someone just dumped their junk feet away from it. How much activity do you get, right? How many people go in? Um, so if they're not even going in because they're put off by... Oh, lady, the house you're selling is going to go for 200 over asking price. Shut up. Reflects into the offer. What makes it all more frustrating is the city says people can schedule a pickup of junk like this for free just by dialing 311. But it appears few people are taking advantage of the service, choosing instead to run the risk of a fine and leave it here for someone else to deal with. In San Jose, Damian Trujillo, NBC Bay Area News. Maybe they're just doing a solid for the community and giving back. Like, you know, hey, we don't need this dishwasher. Maybe you do. You know, they don't want to call the the trash collector right away right give every give the community a chance first first right of refusal yeah i'm sure the dishwasher they dumped out the dump out in there is in perfect working condition you could just fucking go install it <laughs> plug it in plug that water in you're good to go i like how the uh the first lady they talked to like is sent is specifically blamed landlords i like that i'm with that <laughs> she, well, she she probably knows she's probably like told this guy off before right this is not the first time he's done this um that's actually a really good psa though in there snuck into the story if you do have some big shit you want to get rid of yes just call 311 you can they will come for free up to like four times a year and pick up your big shit so you know i i, I can't imagine having big shit to pick up more than four times a year so and if you um, don't take advantage of that please and don't just leave the shit and if you don't live in san jose call the city you live in and see if they do it i would imagine they do Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It usually it's usually the provider you're calling. It's not even the city. It's just the um it's the uh the trash collector. So find out who collects your trash and then give them a call. All right. Well, uh shall we move on to down ballot? Sure. Slash recall watch? Absolutely. All righty. Well, 
Well, we're going to be focusing on the DA's uh, recall <laughs> this week, um, but through the lens of uh, a little tip that he's gotten himself into, uh, as FDA, Chesabudin, that is, with uh, the, San, the San Francisco Police Department and the chief there. Um, and it all stems to uh, uh, this case that we're going to learn about here. Statements began today in a San Francisco police abuse case that has opened a big rift between the district attorney's office and the chief of police. KTVU investigative reporter Evan Cernofsky was in court for the first day of this trial and explains the impact it's having on San Francisco. Attorneys delivered their opening statements Monday in the closely watched trial of Officer Terrence Stangle. He's accused of multiple crimes in the 2019 beating of Dakari Spires on Fisherman's Wharf. But last week, the court case took on new significance when police chief Bill Scott ended an agreement that gave the DA's office authority in police use of force cases. Ultimately, what this is about, and I welcome discussion on this. The chief referenced accusations from a DA investigator who testified that she was pressured to withhold exculpatory evidence from Stengel's arrest warrant. The accusations propelled the case into the city's cutthroat political realm, and DA Chase Boudin's critics and supporters are digging in. It smacks of the same playbook that we see in other civil rights cases, in any case where police officers are taking the task. Conduct of this sort by the DA's office puts at risk legitimate prosecutions of alleged police misconduct in the future. On Monday, the prosecution and defense for Stangle laid out their cases. It's the first trial against a cop for use of force prosecuted by Boudin's office. Stengel's attorney, Nicole Pafari, said the officer was responding to multiple 911 calls reporting Spires was violently choking his girlfriend. She said Spires resisted and even shoved Stengel's partner before he used his baton. She said, quote, Stengel's use of force was calculated, measured, reasonable and lawful. Assistant District Attorney Hans Moore described the episode as an unequivocal case of unnecessary police violence. He said Spires was lovingly embracing his girlfriend when Stengel showed up out of nowhere and began a volley of baton blows that left him with broken bones. Spires' own girlfriend defended him at the scene, saying he never touched her. Moore said, quote, this is a trial about Officer Terrence Stangle and his excessive use of force to detain Mr. Dakari Spires. That's all this trial is about. The case is expected to last just over two weeks as the political ramifications continue to unfold. In San Francisco, Evan Cernofsky, KTVU, Fox 2 News. So I'm curious, and I don't know, I don't know how this works, but if a police officer is accused of a crime, that's the DA office's fucking purview. Like, that's their realm, right? They don't, the police can't just be like, oh, well, you can't accuse the cop of a crime district attorney's office. It is. Um, that is true. Uh, there are some nuances to, I, I think, to, or it seems, it would appear to how the cases are prosecuted themselves, right? And how the, investi how the investigations are handled. Um, and I think that, I think that piece is what was really um, at question here with regard to the, we're going to hear about in this next uh, clip the uh, the memorandum of understanding or the memo of understanding uh, between the DA and the P and PD is that the DA will um, can have uh, basically free reign on their investigation and how they conduct their investigation and uh, PD will not interfere um, and will cooperate fully with their investigation right 
um, which they should anyway, you would imagine. Uh, but perhaps uh, a little more openly under the memo under the MOU than uh, not. And that's what the PD and the chief are pulling back now and saying we're not we don't trust you to to conduct a, a fair investigation of our people. Wasn't that um, nice that, that, that the police are in a position to be like, well, I don't trust the system that's, you know, accusing me of a crime. <laughs> Good for you, cops. Imagine that. What a fucking thing that is. Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Um, I'm I'm shocked that the progressive reform DA has come in and now the PD uh, has been elected and now the PD is responding this way. I'm I'm shocked, honestly. No, I'm not. Um, the recall is annoying, right? But um, it, no one should be at all shocked that people are coming at this guy um, from day one because he's threatening, just like with uh, that whoever that person happens to be that says we're going to fucking close down all the prisons and we're going to divert all the money into education. Right. When that person comes along, they're going to get vilified. They're someone's going to try and recall them. Right. Um, so anytime you try to disrupt a system, the system pushes back. So, uh, I'm hoping he survives the recall and he can continue to fight these bastards, but, um, we can learn a little bit more about what's going on. This is just a hell of a thing though, because the DA's office charges you or me with, with a crime we actually don't get to disrupt their thing. And it's, it's like, we have to cooperate with their, with like lawful things that they ask from us during the investigation. So why the fuck, why the fuck are the, are the cop the pl- like, what the fuck? Why are they above the law? Like what? Well, yeah, I guess. Why are they above? Why, why is, if, as soon as the DA's office decides to press charges against someone, it shouldn't matter who the fuck they are or what the fuck their employment is. They're subject to the same fucking rules of, of discovery and investigation and non-interference and fucking cooperation and answering the fucking questions. And like, what the fuck? That is true. I think, I think it up to, I think that what this MOU is related to is up to that point, right up to the point of charging. Right. Um, so they have more, more freedom to conduct their investigation. So this, this basically means that DA has less freedom to conduct an investigation prior to charging. But this is just, an, from, the cops from my this, understanding, the cop, like the fact that this person's a police officer, I'm sorry. I think this is incidental. If this person committed a crime, because if I commit a crime as a McDonald's employee, there's no ad- agreement between McDonald's and the fucking DA's office to let McDonald's investigate the fucking crime before the DA's office no. starts. Like, I mean, come on, no. come the producing- fuck on. It was producer Dave in the parlor with the chicken McNugget. Uh, anyway, um, this this next clip will probably go over some of the sim- some similar info, so we don't have to watch the whole thing. But um, this will give you a little more detail on uh, what we were just talking about that MOU and what it means. Developing at this hour uh, tonight as the police department versus the D.A. San Francisco's police chief is now taking a major shot at D.A. Chesa Boudin. The chief just terminated what's called a memorandum of understanding between the police department a and the D.A.'s office. That allows prosecutors to work together with the police department to investigate certain incidents and crimes. It is a procedural move, but it comes after accusations that the D.A.'s office withheld evidence in a case against a police officer. Joining us now is senior investigator Bagad Shaban with the backstory. And Bagad, just to be clear, this involves a criminal investigator who testified under oath that she was ordered by co-workers inside the DA's office to actually withhold evidence that might have been favorable to a police officer. 
Yeah, you got it right, Justin. As you have alluded to, there's a lot to unpack here. So as you mentioned, this all centers around a pretty contentious trial where a San Francisco police officer is accused of using excessive force, essentially beating a man. What's going on with his ring light and his glasses is rather unfortunate here. You see that? (laughs) Yes, very much so. This is national award-winning reporter Big Edge event. More than two years ago. So the officers argued he was justified since he was responding to a domestic violence situation where a man was allegedly choking his girlfriend. But here is what ignited this current battle between police and the DA's office. So as he first reported last week, that officer's attorney has argued his case should be thrown out because the DA's office allegedly withheld evidence in the case. And so here is the backstory now. Uh basically comes down to accusations of wrongdoing with police officers. They basically have this agreement, the SFPD and the DA's office have this standing agreement that they would essentially share information with one another as part of their investigations into the matter. But on the stand last week, an investigator with the DA's office testified under oath that she purposely withheld information regarding an interview she conducted with one of the 911 callers who allegedly saw that domestic violence attack that was happening when the officers responded. So despite that agreement between the DA's office and the police department to share information, that investigator just said it was an understanding in the DA's office that it was not a two-way street. And on the stand, she said, quote, if I did have information, I was told that I don't share it. She also added that she withheld that information for fear of being fired. Mm. The judge repeatedly said it wasn't her place to decide if the DA's office committed misconduct and said she's there on the stand to find out whether any of this impacted the officer's ability to get a fair trial. It's important to note, just we want to mention that because the police ended up interviewing that same 911 caller earlier, the judge didn't seem convinced that the DA's office failing to disclose that second interview would have made any difference in the case. All right, so very quickly. So there's always, there's a, there has been there this go. issue brewing between the department and the DA's office anyway. They've had some bad blood of late. What is the <laughs> DA saying? Are they saying anything? I know, I know we've had a hard time pinning them down about a lot of things. We'll get that in the next clip. Well, listen, at this point, the DA's office is really taking issue with any allegations of misconduct. They say that that interview wasn't disclosed as part of a, quote, internal disagreement. And then today, the DA's office did actually release a statement saying it is disappointing, but no coincidence. SFPD chose to withdraw from this agreement during the first ever trial against an on-duty San Francisco police officer for an unlawful beating. The statement goes on to say San Franciscans deserve to be safe, including from unwarranted police violence. Certainly, Jess, this is not an issue that's going away anytime soon nope. and is certainly going to snowball into stories down the line for sure. All right. Thank you very much. And like a recall. All right. So I have a couple couple things here. <clears throat> I don't think the judge is. Go. I don't think it's their job to give a fuck what kind of agreement the DA's office and the police had. I think the judge's job in this case would be like, were you asked for discovery by the fucking cops attorney? And if that, and that's the, that's the judge's whole job here. The judge doesn't want to get involved in fucking this agreement that has nothing to do with the judge's job. So what's going on here is there was some informal, I mean, not informal, maybe it was formal, but it was still like not legally binding through the court system. Some agreement they had had nothing to do with the trial and it doesn't see, and nobody here is making any allegation that the DA's office withheld discovery from the fucking defense team. And so the judge is like, don't give a fuck. 
That's yeah, what I think just happened. Much to do with, it's absolutely much ado about nothing, and it's the recall folks, you know, frothing this up into something bigger than it is, and trying to create political hay and political um, ramifications for the for the DA, and they're using the PD and the chief in this case um, as the the bait and the red meat. Um, so this this is absolutely all about the recall. This has nothing to do. They, they know they're gonna. They're not going to win this, uh, but it's in its BS, but they can get stories out about it and they can get the, the sub headline, you know, about DA misconduct, whether it's true or not, doesn't really matter. Right. Because usually like, you know, with local news, all we hear is the first story, right? We never hear the, the follow-up like, Oh, we were wrong. You know, the, the, it was really, you know, nothing at all actually went wrong and he, they didn't do anything wrong. You don't hear that story in the local news. You only hear about, they might've done something really bad. I mean, it's good good on the local news that they just straight up said that the judge didn't find this convincing. And yeah. Yeah. And I, like I said, it's one thing to like, if you have an agreement to work together and to not provide information right away, and that's one thing not providing discovery is a whole other fucking matter. And that's what's the judge's business. Right. And, and, yeah, and, and no one said they did that. Right. And so that's like, as far as I'm concerned, if, if the, the thing isn't that they didn't provide discovery to the defense, then they can go fuck themselves, fuck their agreement. Like this is, this was just like a policy agreement that they had. And this is a political matter, not a matter that has anything to do with the adjudication of the case against this officer who it, from what I can tell, the news seems to be biased in favor of the police. And the news seems to think that the cop beat the fuck out of this guy for no reason. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So, um, and again, I think the only reason this is becoming a, the, the story itself, the case is a big deal because it's his first case against an officer for use of force. And he came in swinging saying that, you know, they were not going to hold back on, um, and going after cops when they thought they did wrong, they've done wrong. Um, so, uh, this would be a story anyway. The fact that it's, you know, that the angle it's taken is primarily because there's a recall on the table and there's folks trying to house this guy from his spot. So uh, the DA did respond finally. So we, I think, I believe we've got quotes from Chesa right here. Um, not just a statement. Forward to it. We'll get to our Winter Olympic coverage in just a moment. But first, the drama and bitterness between the San Francisco Police Department and the DA's office. The police chief is accusing the DA of withholding key evidence that could clear the name of an officer accused of excessive force. Now the DA firing back, insisting his investigators did nothing wrong. NBC Bay Area Sergio Quintana was there as Chesa Boudin faced a barrage of questions about his priorities and the police chief's decision to dissolve a key agreement regarding the investigation of excessive force cases. In a quickly organized morning news conference, San Francisco District Attorney Chesa Boudin says the oversight agreement the San Francisco police chief just revoked had an immediate impact when it was first signed three years ago. The MOU dramatically improved police accountability and it decreased unnecessary, even if and when lawful, use of force by police. The district attorney is facing tough questions after one of his investigators testified last week that she felt pressured by DA office staff to withhold information from the police department. This is all connected to the ongoing trial involving officer Terrence Stangle, who's accused of beating Dakari Spears while responding to a domestic violence 911 call in 2019. During a police commission hearing last night, Chief Bill Scott defended his move to dissolve the agreement. Very shaken, uh, for lack of a better term, by what was 
brought out in court regarding non-adherence to the MOU. We have done absolutely everything by the book in this case. There is not one iota of evidence of misconduct under my administration. The DA insists this is all designed to distract from the Officer Stangle trial. Without the MOU in place, DA Boudin says they'll revert to investigating police officer use of force cases the way they used to. We'll go back to continuing to show up as quickly as we find out. We may be hearing from some of your Twitter feeds. We'll go back to talking to witnesses outside police lines if they won't let us in. He says he will be reaching out to talk with Chief Scott to see if the agreement is salvageable. In San Francisco, Sergio Quintana, NBC, Bay Area News. Yeah, I'm getting much ado about nothing vibes here. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. And if, and if you really want to play that game, I could, it's obvious that Chaso will play that game. <laughs> we'll go, we're going to get our interviews. We're going to do our investigation. You don't have to help. We got this, you know, and tough shit we're not going to play nice anymore yeah i mean i don't know i think like this this agreement they had it seems like it skews in favor of the police because if you have the like if you have the da's office sharing information with the police power structure prior to the point where they'd have to give uh, discovery to the attorney it seems like the police get a bit of a jump on shit whereas otherwise the rules of discovery would apply and the, the discovery would happen when appropriate for the case. And so it seems like yeah. in this situation, the po the police who is acu are accused of a crime, again, they get an advantage that you or I would not have. Sure. Absolutely. So it makes sense. You would think that they would want to maintain that uh, as opposed to reneging on it. So it uh, seems to me, especially with this particular DA, right? Maybe you have a friendlier DA who's not so much interested in prosecuting cops uh and then you're maybe okay but with this particular situation it seems like any advantage you get would be advantageous um so uh, we shall see I, I i think i don't think chess is backing down so it's just going to be more hardball and you're probably going to see more cops get prosecuted because of it and i mean as well and as they well they sh as well they shouldn't as i don't 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. yeah as well as it was well chess shouldn't like I don't, as soon as I, as soon as it was like, oh, this is like an agreement, then fight it out in the, fight it out in the political space. Don't fight it out in the courtroom. Um, the defense probably pissed off the judge, actually, I'm thinking by trying to pull this shit. Cause uh, like I said, the judge is there to deal with the criminal case. Don't care about what, what other, what other agreement you had that don't have nothing to do with the court. And you know what, you know, who got an ego is a judge. Yeah. We've been saying this with that Austin Bennett case about how he's going to end up in fucking in contempt of court because you know who got an ego usually a judge yeah and you know who doesn't give a shit about politics judge no they Absolutely. may or may, they may, or may not be some not, judges are political animals or whatnot but they certainly don't care well, about your political true. agreement between your your organizations when they're trying to hopefully if it's a good judge they understand that someone was beaten got the fuck beat out of them by the police and that's bad but then this on the other hand this officer could go to jail and sacrifice their freedom so this is like not a this is not a trivial thing and bringing all bringing this bullshit in like mix is you're going to piss the judge off because the judge thinks is going to think that you're trivializing the proceedings with your kind of political infighting between organizations. And I'm just telling you, you want to piss off a judge. You, you push the judge off to the side in a trial. They're fucking they're they're proceeding over. You're going to piss them off, especially if they're one of them. I got an ego judges, which is probably almost all of them. <laughs> Oh, and you're going to the news and blabbing about it to the media, right? And putting your, you're, you're an attorney putting your face out there all over the news and shaming the judge. Yeah, no, 
not going to happen. So, um, yeah, to, we'll, we'll see what finally comes down. I'm sure that the, I'm sure that's going to get expunged and, or not expunged, but just uh, squashed and the case is going to go forward. Um, so we shall see. <sighs> well, that was fun. Do you need a palate cleanser? Yep. What, what you got? I got a shirtless man who was just released from the hospital who has a, has some issues, uh, who steals a police cruiser or a police SUV and crashes it into another police SUV all on cell phone camera. <laughs> this is the most, this is the most down ballot story we've had for a while. So here we go. Cell phone video from a witness obtained by NBC Bay Area shows the San Jose Patrol SUV going in circles before taking aim at another police SUV and ramming into it just outside of Regional Medical Center. Did that? Oh, bro, bro, bro. Oh, you got tased. The suspect was arrested. <laughs> Jose Munoz shot the video and watched it all go down. Stuff went berserk from, from that point on. I was like, man, I just I couldn't believe it. I was just trying to get home from work. Police say the suspect was a patient at Regional just feet away from the crash. Around 2.30 p.m., he started fighting with security there, then ran out of the hospital. An officer spotted him a few blocks away and jumped out of his car to begin chasing the suspect on foot. Eventually, the suspect returned and stole the running patrol SUV. He took off and hit another person. Alma Medina was tending to her taco stand nearby. She says one of the men here said the guy in the police car didn't have a shirt on. And then I said, how does he not have a shirt on? He must have stolen the patrol car. Moments later, it would end here on McKee Road. Two officers, one other person, and the suspect have minor injuries and were taken to a hospital. The suspect faces several felony charges. In San Jose, Ian Cole, NBC, Bay Area News. Chat, I, chat clearly was rooting for somebody in that story. <laughs> it was probably the shirtless man, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think chat was uh, rooting for the rooting for the shirtless man in the story. I love that. Like the, the cop gets out of his car to chase after the shirtless man. The shirtless man comes back and steals the cop's car. How beautiful is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that is that is pretty funny. That is pretty funny. <clears throat> nice. Well, um, that's another thing. And that's episode 100. Well, real quick, before we go, we cut, we'd been covering the Shasta recall of uh, Modi, uh, uh, Supervisor Modi. And unfortunately, the recall people won. Um, all the votes aren't in, but there's yes. it, he won. I mean, he he's he got recalled. Like, yeah, yeah, he got he got recalled, and they replaced him with somebody who's just going to toe the line for the very conservative people. Mind you, these were all Republicans, right? It wasn't like the it wasn't like Modi yeah. was some social justice warrior or whatever. Like, right. Modi is somebody we would not vote for as a local city council person here because they're more conservative than we would like to vote for a a leader. But <clears throat> they got what they wanted. The fucking the board of supervisors there is going to write a nasty letter to the governor, and that's all they wanted was for the board of supervisors to write a nasty letter to the governor, and then the governor is never going to see the nasty letter because the staff is going to read it, or maybe exactly. the governor will see it, and, and he'll respond in a private email, right? <laughs> and then that'll be a that'll be a whole scandal. Uh -huh. Well, thanks for joining me for episode one hundred. Everybody, we would have put something together a little more, a little more episode one hundred ish for this, but honestly, it's been this is. This show just kind of 
hit its weekly stride really under the under the pandemic and so it's maybe not it's they would be going so far back since we started this show but uh councilman thank you and uh send send my love to the good wife for uh also helping pressure me to uh put it put a local news show on the network i think it's real good and i uh, we had a pretty good turnout tonight thanks for the raids by the way we got raids from leon ciphers Sef- and uh our good friend freems um welcome to our uh, new followers we got this evening we got a couple new followers during the show and it looks like we're gonna have a pretty good crowd Beautiful. going into local love um i'm gonna read us out this week actually everybody hang out for local Go love for if you're watching if you're watching live we do a local music show after this me and a uh, chip deville hang out a couple uh local local music heads usually join via the remote um uh, we take a break between, uh, but make sure if you're listening to this on the podcast that you follow us on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media. We have a lot of fun. We're live seven nights a week, most most weeks, sometimes six. Uh, the Media Wench turned the oven up to 400. Oh, Chip brought a pizza. Chip, Chip DeVille got my text message, probably bought a bottle of vodka like I asked and is bringing a pizza. Um, but yeah. Thanks. It's been a, it's been a radical hundred episodes and it takes a lot of pressure off of the Sunday show. Although the Sunday show is now like six to eight hours long. Every <laughs> so it's not like we wouldn't have time for fucking local news. Local news is important. And if you are, if you are involved in your local community, but you're not keeping an eye on your local news, I know that your local news stations probably suck and they probably have like a shitty bias towards the police and power, but it's important to keep an eye on what they're doing. And if, if you can support local independent media around here, we have a, we have like Metro and Spotlight and um, Metro also has a, a online and I for San Jose inside and do, do your best to support those. And especially if you uh, find any journalists you like or whatever there, see if they have a personal Patreon or a personal way for you to donate to them because it's, it's a rough fucking gig. And with that, this is locals by audible smoke signal. Uh, we're going to let a few songs play chips on his way here. I got to go turn the oven on and got to turn the lights red. We're going to do local love don't go anywhere i see a couple of you leaving already fuck that shit stick around um and uh we'll be back in a little bit with local love thanks for joining me this evening councilman peace out To get the party started Pick up my phone just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice for the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car just to get to where they are Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage waiting for MTV Where are those guys who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing We now get the fuck up on Turning head back to the bar for a refill, man, because you know where we are. 
We're headed out to the car To smoke another one And another one Now just when the magic starts kicking in Now here we left playing And you know it's time to head in Alright everybody now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it And then pass it to me We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band the joint now who's got my lighter stoner e of course shouldn't you be inside i'm all up in this bitch being who i gotta be i'm fucked up like the u.s economy the truth is is that i don't think logically stoner e take you on a psychedelic odyssey now inside motherfuckers is rocking me and outside shit we smoke a lot of broccoli Rocky the rolly all the sexy girl be jocking me ain't too drunk to fuck but i'll probably do it sloppily we do what we want and what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Sit back.